All right, hopefully we'll get to that text and why that text is important, I think, in the light of us talking about the parables. But before I, just before I, I get on to our talk for today, one of the things that I've realized over time, there's, there's no ways that from the pulpit here we can cover everything that needs to be covered for you, for us to grow and mature in the ways of God. And, but we live in a world where podcasts are abundant and there are, there's amazing teaching out there. And so we, we do want to encourage you to go find um, Exploring My Strange Bible by Tim Mackey. is an amazing podcast of stuff that will just give you depth and understanding about things that we might never get to or might not explain it the way he does or, or going to Bridgetown or whatever. But I, it's an amazing. But today I, I just want to encourage you. Yaku and I went to Mosaic this morning. Yaku wanted to go to a mega church. And so we went to Mosaic out at Hollywood. And Ern um, McManus did a talk on one of the parables, the parable of the talents, that was uh, pretty profound. And if you get an opportunity, I want to encourage you to go to the Mosaic website or the Mosaic podcast and listen to that talk. It was really, really good. I don't know if it's part of our list. It might be. I think we'll get to it. And it'll lay a beautiful platform for us. But it was an amazing amazing talk. He's an incredible communicator. So I really want to encourage you to go and listen to that. Is that right? Um, I think it will, it will enrich you greatly. It will challenge you deeply. Um, it was really, really good. So we are in a series on the kingdom. I don't want to call it a series on the parables. It's a series that we, about the kingdom, and we're using the parables to speak about the kingdom as Jesus did. What do these parables mean? And, and we'll go somewhere after that. And I want to read again something I read last week from Eugene Peterson. I've really pondered it this week, and many of you weren't here last week. I want to read it again because I, as I read it, it, it just helped me to understand more and more what these parables are about and what Jesus is wanting to do. So I'm going to read it to you again. Jesus' favorite speech form, the parable, was subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants. And they are wholly secular. Of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church, and only a couple mention the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God. So there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged in their imagination. And then, like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened up at their very feet. He was talking about God, and they had been invaded. Jesus continually threw odd stories down alongside ordinary lives, para alongside, bole, throne, parable, and walked away without explanation or altar call. Then listeners started seeing connections, God connections, life connections, eternity connections. The very lack of obviousness, the unlikeness was the stimulus to perceiving likeness, God-likeness, life-likeness, eternity-likeness. But the parable didn't do the work. It put the listener's imagination to work. Parables aren't illustration that makes make things easier. They make things harder by requiring the exercise of our imaginations, which, if we aren't careful, become the exercise of our faith. Parables subvers subversively 
slip past our defenses. Once they're inside the citadel of self, we might expect a change of method, a sudden brandishing of bayonets resulting in a palace coup. But it doesn't happen. Our integrity is honored and preserved. God does not impose his reality from without. He grows flowers and fruit from within. God's truth is not an alien invasion, but a loving courtship in which the details of our common lives are treated as seeds in our conception, growth, and maturity in the kingdom. Parables trust our imaginations, which is to say our faith. They don't herd us paternalistically into a classroom where we get things explained and diagrammed. They don't bully us into regiments where we find ourselves marching in a moral goose step. Important for us to always remember this as we read the parables. They're there to tell a story. They're there to get inside of us. They're there to, get, to make us think and imagine and dream and allow faith to begin to rise in us. And so our parable for today is uh, the parable of the weeds or the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the, and the weeds and from Matthew 13. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven, I just want to say this too. Thank you, Brian, for giving me this parable, which is a, yeah, it's one of those. Oh. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the seeds you root up the wheat, uh, gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let, let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jumping down to verse uh, 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. So the first bit was done publicly. The actual telling of the parable was a public discourse. This now is private with his disciples. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Lord, help me. <laughs> um, it's important that as we look at this, this is, a, this is a parable about the kingdom. It's not a parable about the church. And many people have interpreted these, many of these parables as the church. This is the church, and in the church we have saved and unsaved, but we're not quite sure who's in the... It's not, it's not about the church. This is about God's kingdom. The kingdom is bigger than the church. Do you believe that? The church is a vehicle through which the kingdom can come, but God's kingdom is bigger than the church. 
We are ambassadors of this kingdom, but the kingdom is bigger than we are. This is about the kingdom. This is about the rule of God being established here and now on this earth as God begins to show what life in the kingdom looks like, things that will happen to prepare us and to strengthen us and to encourage us. Um, I think it's also important to notice that the parables speak in images and pictures and metaphors. They're not meant to be taken always literally word for word. So if you read this one, it says, he, uh, Jesus says, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds. We don't have to read anything while his men were sleeping. It's just the story, framing a story to make a point. Does it make sense? Because when he does the interpretation, it says nothing about the guy sleeping. He's, he's, make, he's telling a story. He's telling a parable. He's giving metaphor. He's trying to get inside people's imagination by using stories that they would have understood. Matthew is written in a Jewish context that has a lot of history to it. Does it make sense? And so we'll come to the idea of hell or fire and gnashing of teeth. I'll come to it briefly at the end, and Brian's laughing at me already, because I think we misinterpret this parable sometimes. Um, but we'll get to that. Ultimately, this parable deals with the mystery of the kingdom, that it is very present, but in an unexpected way. Because if you understand that this, this is rooted in Jewish Hebrew history, they had an expectation of what the kingdom of God would look like. They were expecting that a king would appear in the line of David, a mighty ruler with sword and shield and spear, with an army, and they would drive out the Romans, and there would be peace, and they'd be back in the temple. Everything would be come to right. And Jesus comes on the scene. Well, first John comes, and we're going to come to John now. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. It's at hand. It's for us now. He goes to prison. Jesus comes and says, Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he begins to demonstrate this kingdom. At the heart of even grasping kingdom is, is repentance. You have to change your way of thinking. That's the issue of repentance, is change your way of thinking. I mean, Bob Dylan got it right. Change your way of thinking. Get a different set of rules. You've got to go listen to that on Slow Train Coming. It's beautiful. You've got to, you've got to see different This is mysterious. So back to the text that Aaron read from Matthew 11 about John, who's in prison, and sends some of his disciples to say, are you really the one? This is the one that I, you know, I prepared a way for you. Are you, the real, are you the one or did I waste my time? Why? Because John was Jewish, and he was the last of the prophets, and the prophets prophesied a coming kingdom that would rule and reign, and he was expecting that this cousin of his, Jesus, would come on the scene with a mighty army and drive out the Romans. And guess what? He didn't do that. So now he's doubting himself. Are you really the one? Because he had an idea of what the kingdom looked like, but the kingdom came in a new, mysterious way. They weren't expecting that. What did it look like? It didn't look like picking up swords and shields and driving out those you didn't like. It rather looked like lame people walking, sick people being healed. Demonized, being delivered. Those who were far from faith, coming back to faith. Uh, the disenfranchised, being embraced and loved. They weren't expecting that. John's like, what? But Jesus answers the disciples by saying, go back and tell John this story. 
What happens in that? Because you don't actually hear what happens to John afterwards in terms of how he responds to that. But you can infer from it is that the disciples go back, say what Jesus has told them, told them, tell them, tell John what he's doing, and John's mindset changes, and he, as a prophet, he can go back, oh, I can go back to Isaiah. I can go back, ah, oh, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And he can connect, and suddenly there's a mindset change. This mystery, that's mis- this thing that's happening differently, suddenly gets a little bit of a grip about what's happening. That this kingdom has come into Israel, because that's the setting. It's come into Israel. It's been announced. It's been proclaimed. It's being lived out. It's being demonstrated. And it goes side by side with the evil kingdom of the Romans at the same time. Make sense? They're growing together. The power of Rome is increasing, and the power of the kingdom is increasing. They just look different. And so he tells these, a parable into that sort of context. The question you should be asking yourself is this, how can this be the kingdom of God if there's still evil in the world? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If Jesus is the king and the kingdom is coming, and God is a good king and a gracious, righteous king. How come there's still evil and sickness in the world? How come kids are being blown to bits in Syria by bombs? You know, how come there's so many people that are starving with no food? How come there are still women and children being abused and raped? How come, how come, how come? Those are the questions we should be asking ourselves as people of the kingdom If our God is a good and gracious, loving, kind God, why? And this parable is part of the way of Jesus answering that question. That these two things grow side by side, but a day is coming when things will be made right. And that should be the hope. That should be the the joy. That should be the thing that excites us. A day is coming when things will be made right. And the things that we complain about tonight, like those that are hungry and those that are abused and those that are being killed in war, and da, 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 that will be sorted out. That's what this parable is all about. And if you get that, it's actually not that difficult. If you don't get that, then it's a really confusing parable. Um... I think the other thing that it really answers in that vein is that there is a destructive force at work in our world, but it's not God. Erwin McManus this morning said an amazing thing. It was like, I don't know if I can repeat it. It was just profound. Atheists are so quick to blame God for everything that's going right, but you never once seen them acknowledging God for the good things. You thought about that? When we see two people really loving and being kind to one another, we don't say, wow, look at how amazing God is. But when we see two people fighting and abuse, we say, where's God? Isn't that right? That's what our world is like. This parable tells us there's a sowing of a seed that's evil in our world, and it's growing up among the people of the kingdom. But that sower is not God. Actually, the, the, the word that's used is diablos, the devil. 
It's the enemy that's doing that. It's not God that answers that question. So this parable is a really, really important little parable. Um, whew, I can't breathe. Romans 8. What we try and do in this, I want to try and tie different parts of the text. So it's not just an isolated parable, but it has, has connection into other parts. Let's go to Romans 8. Uh, my fingers are not going there. From verse 18. For I consider, this is Paul writing, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See that? We're in suffering. There's things going wrong. We don't quite get it, but there's a glory coming. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What's, the, what's Paul saying there? In essence, he's saying, in a world which, where there's chaos and the Spirit has come, he's sown a seed, and these children of the, of the Spirit, these children of God have been raised up. But inside of us, there's a longing and a groaning together with all of creation for everything to be put right. But until it is, we wait with an expectation. We wait with a patience. We wait with a hope that God will make it right. It's time. Why do two things grow at the same time? That's what Paul's saying here. There's a groaning. We expect, come on, Lord, please, come on, come on, come on. The hope is a day is coming when it will all be put right and all of it will be revealed and everything will be put in right order, in right space, and that's going to be glorious. Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seeds is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So here's the world. It's the world. It's God's world. He's sown good seed. He's looking for a good harvest. But at the same time, there's an enemy who is trying to undermine and undercut everything that God is wanting to do. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Now, as we look at this word weeds... Uh, in the Greek, in that, the, 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 they use the word darnel. It was a weed that looked like wheat. So if you plant a rose, and, and next to it you plant, what's, what's totally different from a rose? A palm tree. They look different. Oh, I can take it. But when this was being planted, the word that's used there is, some, is, is, a, is a weed that looks exactly like wheat when it's small. So... When, if you were to pull it up, there's a chance that you would pull wheat up at the same time. 
And the farmer, being a wise farmer, is saying, no, no, let it grow, because as it gets bigger, the differentiation gets more obvious. So at the time of reaping, you will see what is wheat and what is not wheat, and then you can differentiate and pull out. Does that make sense? It's very important to understand that. My friend Yaku, from Canada, Canada, he said this. He says, an image of when wheat is grown and the wind blows. Wheat, have you ever seen a wheat field? Blows like this is beautiful. But Darnell stands straight up. It doesn't blow. It's rigid. When it's small, everything just gets flopped around. But as it grows, the wheat remains flexible and blows in the wind. It's a beautiful image of the Spirit. Who knows if it's actually what the Bible wants us to know, but it's good. But there's a difference. And this farmer is saying, no, don't do it now, because there is a chance we will lose some of the wheat. Let it grow together. It will soon be revealed for what it is. And then when it's revealed, we'll separate and we'll sort it out. It's a great image. Jews would have understood that. Why? Because it's their culture. We don't kind of get that. It's new. We, I'm not a farmer. I have to go research Greek books. But a Hebrew farmer would have known that immediately. Here comes the tricky bit of this whole parable, actually. It's this. Is that he says a day is coming when everything's going to be separated. The angels are going to come. They're going to reap. They're going to separate this to this and this to this. And this is going to be burned and thrown into the fire. This, the sons of the evil one, the children of the evil one. And there's going to be the gnashing of teeth. And, and from that comes this beautiful image that we all hold of hell as this place of fire, underground, burning, torture, gnashing of teeth. Whoa, that's hell. I don't think that's what this text is teaching whatsoever. I do believe in hell, by the way, just in case you think I'm moving. I believe in hell. But I don't think that's a picture of hell. I think that's a metaphor, and I'll come to and I'll talk about it now, of what happens when sin runs rampant. It's like fire. It burns up. It's, I'm going to read from a few texts. Isaiah chapter 9. It's trying to show the metaphors, trying to show the pictures. Isaiah 9 verse 18. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Though the wrath of the Lord of hosts is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire, no one spares one another. That's a picture of sin, and the way that it's, it, its destruction is like fire. Sin consumes us like a fire. At the end, when sin is there, it's going to be consumed like a fire. It's an image. It's a metaphor. Does that make sense? Because the first part of the parable is him telling the story. We'll take the, we the, the weeds and we'll burn it. And he's saying it's going, to sin. it's going to be burned. It's going to be burnt up. It's a metaphor. If we go to Hosea chapter 7, if I can find Hosea. He's here somewhere. There he is. Hosea chapter 7. Uh, reading from verse 4. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. Verse 6. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue all night. Their anger smolders. In the morning, it blazes like a blazing, like a flaming fire. 
all of them as hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All the kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. What is it? It's an image. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of what sin is like and what it, how destructive it is. In James, he writes, he talks about the tongue. What does the tongue do? It's like a spark that sets a forest fire alight. It just burns. Does your tongue actually set a forest on fire? No, it's a picture. It's an image of something. Something that speaks about the force of evil. The force of sin that's within us that causes destruction. When you read the book of Revelation, which is a, a book of metaphors, of images, all right, it says they're going to be cast into the lake of sulfur and fire. That, it's an image of something. It's, it, it's rooted in a culture. It's showing, oh, we get it. This is destructive. This is bad. It's going to be destroyed. This is not a place to draw a theology of hell from. Is that all right? Or are you all looking a bit confused? I believe in hell. All right? But this is not a picture of hell. You might get a glimpse. Oh, there's, there's a separation. There's something. But I don't think this is hell. We'll, we'll do a teaching on hell. Or you can go listen to Tim Mackey or someone else. Or go read Josh Butler on the skeletons in God's closet or something. There are lots of there. There is a hell. What does it look like? It looks a little different from this. So can I put that as an intrigue in your mind for something we can come back to or something you can begin to investigate? Is that all right? I love the way Josh, uh, Ryan Butler puts it. He calls it the mercy of hell. Isn't that a strange way to speak about hell? The mercy of hell. It's, ooh, it's kind of weird, but it is so beautiful when it unpacks. Um, what, can, what can you take away immediately from this? It's just one thing. Don't go around judging people. Don't think, oh, that's a weed. And I look at Mina, she's a weed. You know? No, don't do that because we, we don't know. People are new in their faith. People are in different places. The kingdom is mysterious. The people of God, some, the one that we think is going to go destruction might be the one that begins to flourish as God comes upon them. The one that seems to be flourishing now might walk away. It's not, we don't judge. We can judge ourselves. You can take an inward look and, oh, God. But our role is not to judge other people. That's God's job. And I want to say, I want to confess that over time, I've written people off before they've had a chance or before I've got to know them, I've written them off. If I were to use the standard that Jesus uses and the people that he brings into the kingdom, then I have failed miserably. Because when he invited them to his banquet feast, the ones that were supposed to come say, oh, I got this, sorry, no, 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 I got to, I got to go, I just got to fix my oxen, I got to build this house, I got to clear this field, I got to bury this one, I got to do this. All had excuses. He said, Well, so be it. It's calling those that are broken and lame and blind and poor and don't, let them come and let them come feast at my table. But in our sensibilities, we often write those people off. 
That guy on the side of the street, just a loser, no job, just, oh. But that just might be the very one that God calls to his kingdom and changes and molds and shapes. And at the day, oh, he was wheat and not weed? Wow. Is that all right? It's very important that we see that, that we don't judge. Because these farm workers were saying to them, let us pull it out. And he said, no, no, you don't, you don't judge well. You don't really know. Wait, wait, wait. A time will come when you'll see it clearly. Let's not, us, let's not be about that right now. This is mysterious. But I close with this. Guys, a day is coming when there will be a separation. A day is coming when you will give an account. A day is coming when your fruitfulness will be exposed. And let's not be found wanting on that day. Isn't that, that would be the most scary thing, that we gave our whole life to religion and we missed it. Missed it. And if there's one test, just one test that you can give yourself, just one, I'm sure there are many, but if there's one that you can look at your life daily and say, Lord, am I being fruitful? It's this. Were you loving today? Did you love well today? Not, did you love your wife well, or your husband well, or your kids? Was, that's important. But did you love the unlovable well today? Did your life exude the mystery of the kingdom by loving? Did you love the people in your community well? This is how they will know that you are my disciples by the Bible studies you attend together. Is that what it says? No. By the memory verses you got. No, by the love that you have for one another. Love is a very powerful fruit. And there are a few others that go with it, like patience and kindness and generosity and all those. But we can test ourselves. We can judge ourselves without having to judge another person. So I'm, Mina, you're sitting here, so you're in my spit zone, so I'm using you as my example. When I get home tonight, I don't have to judge. How did Mina greet me today? And as I was speaking, what is her face like? Was she contorting her face? Oh, and I'm thinking, oh. no, I don't have to think that. What I have to think is when I get home and I get to bed, how did I treat Mina today? Did I give her a hug? Did I encourage her? You know? Not what she said toward me. What did I say toward her? A natural inclination, a natural inclination is to do the opposite. Let's not do it. Father, we we don't have to be afraid of living 
in our world today with evil and destruction around us because we see that your kingdom is advancing as well. That text says that the violent will advance the kingdom, and it's not that we're going to go kill people, but there's a sense in us that we are we're about the king's business. We're about our father's business of loving and caring and being kind to one another and praying for the sick, etc., etc. We advance the kingdom while at the same time sin seems to be abounding. But we trust the one who said a day is coming when there will be no tear, no sickness, no disease, that everything will be put right, that things will be dealt with. The most timid of us in our gathering, in this community, Lord, can be loving and kind. We can ask you, King of the kingdom, farmer of the field, sower of the seed, would you help us to grow to maturity in the ways of the kingdom? Right there amidst the world, not hidden away, right among the world, we can mature as people of the kingdom. And Father, we want to stop blaming you for the evil in the world. We want to see it for what it is. Recognize it, stand against it, resist it. That we don't have to be only concerned with our personal holiness, but God, you ask us to be involved in justice, caring for the poor and the needy. It's part of your kingdom advancing. It's not just personal. It's about us engaging our world. Would you help us? Would you help us? I pray that fear would be broken in our lives that we somehow think, oh, could we be weeds? But as we cast ourselves upon you, we trust you that we are sons and daughters of your kingdom.